This is Robert Fleming, partner in the Tucson, Arizona law firm, elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, talking to you about elder law issues. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this time, I, I want to talk a little bit about people who would like to do their own estate planning, the DIY kind of approach to estate planning. And, and I'm sitting here with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner in the law firm at Fleming and Curdy. Elizabeth, uh, how often do you see clients who, who think they could just do this themselves? I see clients who do their own forms or families who have lost a loved one who wrote out their own will or power of attorney all the time. It's a very common thing. And the reality is, is that we would all like to think that doing your own estate planning is an easy thing to do. Of course it's not. Uh, most lawyers say, uh, well, you would never do brain surgery on yourself, would you? And I think that's an unfortunate comparison. It's not brain surgery exactly, but you know, you probably wouldn't do uh, any of the kinds of professional work on yourself. I don't even try to do my own plumbing. Uh, and uh, even like plumbers are somehow um, not as as, uh, as valuable as lawyers. And, and I think they're probably more valuable than lawyers, and, and honestly, that, Robert. And that's really my point <laughs> is that there are people who have training and background and experience who will do things so much better, so much faster. What can go wrong with doing your own? It's just filling out forms, right? Well, I had a woman that I saw this past week who had downloaded a form actually from a reputable group here in Arizona to complete her own healthcare power of attorney. And the reality is, is that she had switched the identity of the principal and the agent. So she had actually created a healthcare power of attorney for herself, but not known the terminology in the form that she was completing. She had clear capacity, was able to create a healthcare power of attorney. There was no question about her intent or ability to do it, but it was actually just the terms itself that she wasn't clear on when she completed the form. Uh, I once, not that long ago, had a, a, a decedent who had gotten hold of the forms to fill out his own will and trust. He was a widow, widower, and uh, but I guess when he looked at the forms, he thought he had been married, so he got the forms for a married couple and then tried to just change all the words so they made sense. And the entire product was gibberish as a result of that. And I think that's hard for people to understand the significance of exactly why things are the way they are in the forms that they get hold of. I think that's true. And I think one thing people identify a lot about is the property that they have. So whether it's a diamond ring or a piece of art, a special bank account, or maybe an oil and gas interest that you've inherited. People think very specifically about those assets when they're doing a will or a trust and they're filling out these forms. They don't necessarily think about the residue of their estate, everything else besides the assets that they've identified. So for that particular reason, I see people all the time come in with holographic wills, handwritten wills that identify major assets in their estate, but they don't say what happens with the rest. This really is an opportunity to, uh, to really emphasize that we lawyers don't sell forms. We sell information, peace of mind, experience, uh, and a lot of what you get is the conversation with the lawyer about why you should do this or not do that or whatever. Uh, and it's not just the quality of the paper that we produce that's important. 
I think one of the reasons, Robert, that people use forms or they try and do their own documents is because they're concerned about cost. And that's a real reality. My husband, Doug, and I are mindful about what we spend our money on. And I think that particularly when we work with people who are very sensitive to the cost of attorneys, the question about what an estate plan is going to cost them is a real concern. In fact, it's an impediment to getting into the office. And I wish that wasn't so. You have a value of transparency, and I think you and Tom in our practice have made that important. So our fees for estate plans are all online. And here's my last question on this subject. What about the person who says, I'm just going to do a first draft myself and bring it to you for consideration, and it'll, that'll probably save me some money because it's going to cost a lot less for you to review my work than to do it yourself. Is that right? In truth, no. I would rather sit down, have a conversation, see what your goals are, and then if you're bringing me something to look at, I'm going to use that as a roadmap, but I'm not going to use it as a template. And I think that's really critical. It takes us more energy to read what you've written and try to understand in it than it does to just start over with, uh, with the, the approach that we're more familiar and comfortable with. But what we're trying to do is get what you want. So we'll be happy to look at your documents. But as you say, there'll be a roadmap. They won't be a template. Very nice uh, way of expressing it. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining me today. And thank you all for listening in. Uh, this is Robert Fleming and uh, with the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. Feel free to check us out online at www.elder-law.com. And if you would like to make an appointment to talk about your estate planning and what you can do yourself, uh, give us a call at 520-622-0400. Thanks.